started today with my message. Uh, There's two different working titles that I have because I wanted to make sure we spoke into the area of Mother's Day. And one of the reasons we have the kids come and do this is we want to give you a sweet little treat. But I also believe that we should teach our children to honor mothers, right? That's something that we should instill in them and give them opportunities to do. Yeah, so that's why we do that. Um, but, but as we get into today's message, I want it to be something that spoke into the, the, the topic of Mother's Day and honoring moms, but I also want to make sure that for those who weren't in that, that part of life, or if that's not part of their life, or for the men in the room, today's message applies for both. So I had to kind of provide two different working titles for you, depending on who you are, but I want you to know that no matter what, the message is going to apply. You could either call this message, Three Encouragements for Moms, or you could say three things that can help you if you feel like you're attempting to defuse three time bombs while juggling them, while walking a tightrope, while walking a self-contained underwater breathing apparatus that is running out of oxygen, while there's an audience of people yelling requests and demands at you while you're trying to concentrate, and the person who's supposed to be helping you is somehow so peacefully sleeping amidst the chaos. So if you're in either of those situations, today's message, I believe, can speak into you. We're in this series called Emotions, and the topic for this week is anxiety. And you would be like, Paul, come on, we're supposed to be more light and fluffy on Mother's Day. Like, let's just celebrate the moms, and we're going to. But I believe, man, the women that God has placed in our life they carry so much weight in our households, don't they? Like they do so much, they work so hard and they're worthy of honor. But I know that so many of them at the end of the day, even though they've done so much already, at the end of the day, so many of them still feel this weight of anxiety that's on their shoulders each night. And, and, and when we stop and we talk about all the things they, that they do, we're like, man, you should feel like I just killed it today. You shouldn't be worrying. And so I want to provide just a couple outlets. Um, I want to provide some recognition that you deserve to have these places where you find reprieve from anxiety. And so today's message is going to be really speaking into that area of anxiety, but I want you ladies especially to recognize You deserve to have these things that we're describing. And we're going to look at a passage of scripture that's pretty intense. I mean, this comes from Jesus the night before he went to the cross in Mark 14, Gospel of Mark chapter 14, verse 32 through 36. But I want us to look at the way that Jesus handled probably one of the nights that was filled with the most anxiety of his entire life. And we'll put these words up on the screen as I read them. And it says, they, the disciples and Jesus went to the olive grove grove called Gethsemane. And Jesus said, sit here while I go and pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him. And he became deeply troubled and distressed. And he told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little further and fell to the ground. And he prayed that if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass by. Abba, Father, he cried out, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Now, as Jesus went into the situation with his disciples and his followers, you'll see, I mean, you can see in the text, like the amount of anxiety that was pressing on him was tremendous. And he had a group of at least 11. I mean, Judas was gone, but it could have been more of the followers that he brought into the garden. But then he took out of that three specific ones that were closer to him. And he went away with them. And I want to I just speak into the fact there are going to be seasons and there are going to be waves in your life where anxiety is heavier. 
I know that there's times, it's like you might be in one of the good times where everything feels great, or you might have come into church today saying, right now we are at like that breaking point. And there is a temptation that especially when you get into church, that as you come in, there's this propensity to say, I just need to put on a face that says everything is all right and everything is fine, even though the weight of anxiety is crushing right now. And I want to just first, this is an encouragement, this is an opportunity for freedom, that if you came into church and you feel like you have to pretend like you're living some other reality, you don't have to do that. And if there was anyone who could have said, I can just hold my life together, even though it's incredibly anxious and difficult right now, and pretend that everything's out, if anyone could have said, I could just get through this on my own, it would have been Jesus himself, right? It would have been the Son of God in flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, that could have said, I can hold it together. But did you see the way that Jesus described the situation? I mean, this should be completely freeing. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be strong enough all the time. You don't have to have it all together at at all times. Look at what Jesus said as he pulled Peter, James, and John with him. He said, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. I, I mean, emotionally, if something's going on, the, the example that Christ set for you is it's okay to be in that point of your life. But I believe that what we see throughout scripture, it's okay to go through those difficult places, but you shouldn't be going to them alone. Because once again, if anyone is an example for us, it's Jesus Christ himself. And when his soul felt pressed, what did he do? He grabbed three of his friends and he told them and he poured his heart out. So this is where we are. Keep watch with me. So ladies, specifically on Mother's Day, you guys are a blessing, you're incredible, you do so much, but so many of you guys are trying to navigate this on your own and the anxiety, it's been heavy on your shoulders and I wanna just suggest the question you should ask yourself, do you have that circle of friends? Do you have that group of friends that you can talk to and say right now life feels like it is just crushing? Because if you're going through one of those difficult seasons and you don't have those people where you can just pour out your heart and say, this is what's going on, you are probably carrying so much weight that you feel like you're about to snap. Ecclesiastes chapter four, verse 12, is a great example of this truth. And it says this, and men, you know, this is gonna resound with your heart, I believe, as well. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. But two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. We love some brave heart stuff like two guys fighting it out for their city and for their family. Three fighting off a group of 12. Like we love the heroics. But ladies, this is true for you as well. That when you are in a fight for your family, when you're in a fight for your own heart, when you're in a fight to get the weight of anxiety off of your shoulders, when you're fighting by yourself, one strand is easily broken. But a cord of three, you can, you can resist. And in fact, something that would have felt like it could have broke you will feel like no weight at all if you have those people that you can just pour your heart out to. If you have those people. And as I say that, I know that there's so many in this room that would say, you know, I would love to have those people. Like, I would love to have those people that I can share with. Because the fact is, Jesus didn't bring all 11 of them over to this private moment. 
Like, like not everybody needs to know your business, but there are some people who should know. One of the people who pastors me has this saying, and, and, I, and I love it, it stuck with me. He said, you're allowed to have secrets, you just can't be the only one who knows about them. Like not everybody needs to know all of your business, but you need to have some people that you can trust with everything. And you might say, well, I just, I, I, don't, I don't have those people. I wanna, I wanna challenge you on this, that you have people who are accessible to you. I was a youth pastor for a long time before I became a lead pastor. And when I got to be a lead pastor, I was, I was excited because like, man, I am, I am done with dealing with the teenage drama, like, like that level of things. It, like I'm ready to get out of that. Like they won't be my friend. Like I thought that was behind me. Same problems, different age. <laughs> and, and I mean, I could, I could t- take you back to this one story, this one specific family. I could tell you the kid's name and, and his parents' name that, that helped drive this drama that I continually had to deal with. And this was the drama that I had to deal with as a youth pastor. She came in and she said, I just wish he had some friends at youth group. And it's like, I can name off five kids right now that would love to be his friend. Well, he really wants to be friends with this one kid, like the most popular kid. Like the, like he, that's, I was like, that's the only person he wants to be friends with? Like there's five kids that would love to hang out with him right now. Well, he wants this one. Well, he can't have that one because he acts like a fool around that one. But these other ones, he could actually be the cool kid around them. Right? But, but that's not what they want. And there might be something in your heart that has turned that, you know, if I can't be friends with the person who leads worship, or I can't be friends with the person who brings the message, or if I can't be friends with the person who's in charge of the most stuff, then I really don't have any friends at church. But there are probably a dozen people around you right now that could really use your influence and your voice in their life, but maybe they don't look the way that you thought they should look. And your heart needs to change a little bit about what your friends need to look like. And you have chosen loneliness because you have a picture of what the person who's your friend should look like and you've prejudged someone that you don't even know yet. And I want to challenge you that if you felt lonely, it may be the result of decision after decision to isolate yourself from other people. And this is what I want to get to, that there's an opportunity for friendship all around you in these chairs. There's an opportunity for friendship in your neighborhood, in the houses that live next to you, that maybe if you just show up with a baked good and said, hey, let's have dessert together tonight, that they would sit down with you and you could get to know them and they would have someone they could turn to and you would have someone that you could turn to. But the people might look different than what you thought that they would be. A cord of three is not easily broken. And if you've been living in isolation for too long, it's time to get some people around you. I'm going to need your help for this really short section. So I'm going to ask a couple questions where the answer is obviously yes. And when I ask the question, you're going to say, Oh, that, you did so much better than first service on the first one. I'm so proud of you. All right, so check it out. If there's people who have abused alcohol for decades, they should change? Yes, all right. If there's people who have who've spent decades bearing themselves in debt, should they change? Okay, if there are people who have not exercised or eaten healthy for decades, should they change? All right, if there are people who have not invested themselves in friendships for decades, should they change? Okay, all of those, th- those first three areas I talked about, obvious yes. You need to make a practical, physical, behavioral change to get out of alcoholism, to get out of substance abuse, to get out of debt, to get into good shape. 
practical changes. Friendship, for some reason, we just think it should romantically happen with no effort at all. Like we should just stumble into this beautiful BFF friendship forever where we skip through the the daisies together and it's perfect. That's not how friendship works. It's going to take that awkward moment where you walk across a room, walk across the street, introduce yourself, and you have just pre-made the decision we're going to be friends. But so many of us adults, we act like the middle schooler in the room. Nobody wants to be my friend, so I'm going to stand in the corner by myself. I want to call you up. I want to call you up. I want to call you up on this. You can have friends here. There's people in this room that if you came over and you said, hey, could we, could we have lunch next week? They would say yes. There's people in your neighborhood. There's people in your job, in your occupation. There's people around you that need community and you were designed to live in community. And one of the results of living in isolation is a heightened experience with anxiety because you were not meant to live alone. And you need to invest in these relationships so that when you get to that breaking point where you say, my heart feels like it's crushed with grief right now, that you have two or three people to turn to. And moms, man, moms do it. They take care of everybody all the time, so much to the point where they, they, they lose touch with so many of those relationships that they really need. Like we see it happen. And so moms, today, I want to give you license. I want to give you permission. I want to sign the check for you so that you can cash it. You deserve, you need to, you have to clear out some time so that you can go hang with some friends. You need some ladies' nights. You deserve it. You've worked for it. You've been designed for it. And so maybe you haven't had that in a while. Hey, we went to church and Pastor Paul said, it's a God thing. I got to do it. Ladies are getting pedicures. Ladies are going to the movie by themselves. No husbands, no kids allowed, right? My wife is ready to cash that check and go do it. Yours should be too. Ladies, you need it. It's It's part of the way that God has designed you to live in community and you've got to develop those friendships. God wants that for you. I know that. And so one of the ways that that we release, that we reprieve, that we get out of the anxiety that's maybe been weighing on our shoulders too much, we talk to our friends. We develop those friendships the way that Jesus had them with, with the inner three. You need to have that as well. As Jesus was was going through that night, the next thing that we see him do as he talked with his friends and he asked them to keep watch with him, His prayer was very specific. In verse 36, he said, Abba, Father, he cried out, everything is possible for you. And this is one of the few times in scripture, like the word hallelujah, like we don't translate that. We keep that in the original Hebrew. This word Abba is actually Aramaic and we hang on to that. And there's reason because that that doesn't get used too much in scripture. And so they felt like it needed to stay in its original language. I also think that the, the theologians, they couldn't just bring themselves to actually put the English word to it because it almost feels sacrilegious. It almost feels too close to translate Abba because the word carries the notion of like daddy. And, and to write daddy in scripture, like it felt, it felt foreign, but, but this is the heartbeat that Jesus is praying out. And we know that the name that you use for someone, it tells you about the relationship that you have when you call them a certain name. It tells you about what they're wanting, about how they're feeling. And so there's a lot that's communicated in here. And we see, that, we see this notion with our kids as well. 
Like, like our, our six, our, our young kids, they'll call us mama because like that's how they feel about you. Like they'll call you mama and then eventually it'll develop into mommy and eventually that'll turn into mom and then somewhere around 14 it'll turn into like bruh. <laughs> Until they need to go to the mall and buy some stuff and then it becomes mommy again. Yeah, that's right. Some, some people know. Some people know. But like the, the way that they describe you, it says something about what they want out of the interaction, about how they're feeling during the interaction. Like when it's mommy, like there's a closeness and an affinity and the emotional attachment should get you to do just a little bit extra for me. But if you're like invading my privacy, it's like, bruh, get out of my room. Like, and we, we know that. And there's a lot of names for God in scripture. Like, like some of the names in scripture, as Jesus is thinking he's about to go to the cross and he's going to endure pain, he could have called out and he could have used the, the name Jehovah Rapha, which is the God who heals. And he could have said, God, w- w- will you heal this as it happens? He could have said, Jehovah Jireh, be the God that provides, provide another way out. He could have said, Jehovah Shalom, like just, just make it peaceful, like, like, like keep peace through the entire thing that's going to happen. Or Jehovah Nisi means the God who works miracles, like be the God who works miracles for me. Or Elohim, the, the creator God who spoke everything into existence. Or, or El Roi, who's the God who sees and sees my pain. He could have called on all these different names for God, but he chose Abba. And I believe that in our most stressful situations where we look at the circumstances and it feels like there's no way this should turn for good, we should turn to our Heavenly Father knowing that he is good and that we can approach him in this way where we cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy, Father, will you work? We are so close. Will you be in this situation? Can I see your hand at work in the way that only a a father who is incredibly loving and knows me intimately would work? And you might object and say, well, you know, Jesus can pray that way. He, He is Emmanuel. He can call him daddy, but it feels difficult for us to call him that. I want to draw your attentions to Romans chapter 8, verse 15, and we'll put this on the screen as I read it. It says, So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. This is talking about how we approach God and approach life. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father. Now look, in the garden at the most stressful point, Jesus cried out with a heart that was weighed down with anxiety. And he said, Abba Father, you can do everything. We have been adopted into God's family because what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. We are full heirs with Christ. We inherit every blessing that Jesus earned. You have that all and the greatest blessing is you have been invited to such a close relationship with God where you would cry out to him, Abba, Father, Daddy, would you work? I need your hand to show up in this. Things are stressful at home. The marriage feels like it's breaking apart. I don't know how the job's gonna go. These teenagers are wild and I don't know what's wrong with them and why they're acting this way. And if you don't work, Lord, I'm just gonna get rid of them. Like, I need you now. Will you work? And you need support from friends, but I'm gonna tell you, you need to be able to pray it out to your heavenly father. And when we talk about the, the, the feeling of anxiety, of being anxious, I know so many struggle to go, at sleep, go to sleep at night because there's just these worries that pop up. And worry, anxiety by itself, Jesus felt it at times. He showed that. 
Anxiety itself is not a sin, but letting anxiety control your behaviors, it is. Anger as well, it's not a sin, but when you let anger control you, it can become a sin. Anxiety, it's like the warning light that goes off in your car that some of you need to stop ignoring. They, they make stickers to cover the warning lights. I'm not recommending those. Like that doesn't fix the issue. But an, just living with anxiety, it's like trying to cover up the warning light. What anxiety should do in your life, it should highlight, this is a moment where I should pray. When you feel worry about something, if it's worth worrying about, it's worth praying about. And the times where something gets stirred up in your heart and you feel anxious about it, this is the right time to bring it before God who loves you dearly. And he wants to show his hand mightily at work in your life. But if you don't ask, you won't see that hand at work. And these times where anxiety wells up, you need to bring it before the throne of God. And this is not to add a weight to when, oh, I'm feeling anxious and I want to pray. This is the escape hatch. Because so many people become chronic worriers. They just worry all the time. And I want to tell you, so many of these people who, become, who chronically fall into worry, they were actually designed to be prayer warriors because they're sensitive to things. They see where God's hand needs to be at work. And when you begin to dig your feet in and go after those issues with prayer, when you bring it before God's throne in an authentic way, your faith is going to rise up and you're going to begin to recognize, I know this is in his hands. Like, I know that he is good. I know that he is faithful. I know that he is able. And as that thing keeps popping into your mind and you keep bringing it before the throne of God, Jesus taught a parable about an unjust judge. And he said, this judge is corrupt and he doesn't care about justice. But there was a widow who demanded justice. And so she kept going to the judge day and night, kept bothering him. And eventually the judge who didn't care about justice said, I'm gonna give her what she wants just so she'll leave me alone. And Jesus said, how much more so will your heavenly father who is good and just and loves you, how much more so will he act on behalf of your requests? We've spent so much energy in worry and it's not gonna fix the issue. Bring it before your heavenly father and find the freedom and the relief that, no, that, that comes with knowing that it's been placed in his hands. That you have an Abba Father who's going to work in that area. We should talk to our friends. We should talk to our Father. And the, the last area that I'd say that when we're feeling anxious and we feel like anxiety is trying to grip, get a grip on us and on our family, we should sometimes we have to talk to our feelings. And it, this might sound weird, but, it, but when you begin to say what you're feeling out loud, Sometimes it puts your brain and your heart in check to say, you know what, that doesn't line up. Like I need to change that. Or, or you begin to speak in faith about what you believe and what you know God's gonna do. It makes your faith, faith, faith rise up. In verse 36, the second half of it, Jesus prays and he says, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Now, you, you might, some of you guys might be like, wait a minute, like what's happening here? I, I wanna provide complete clarity. Jesus, who was born of a virgin, who came to earth for the express purpose of seeking after the lost that they would be found. He knew that his life was about going to the cross and defeating the grave. Like this is why he came. And he's in this pinnacle moment where it's the night before the cross and the anxiety of the pain and the separation that he's about to feel is so strong. He says, please take this cup of suffering away from me. He's saying, if there's any other way, 
Like he knew this was the way. But his heart was so disturbed and, and so anxious about what he was about to go through. He said, if there's any other way, but not my will, but yours be done. There are moments where you feel something that you know, this is not how I should feel. Where you know, like this is not the way that I should act. And sometimes just beginning to say, I feel like giving up on it all right now. But I know our future's in God's hands. I feel like just storming out of this job. But I know I should honor God in this workplace. I feel like selling these children on Facebook Marketplace. But they don't allow the sale of pets on there, so I can't. Like, like just beginning to say it out, I want to tell you, it, it's important. And beginning to speak in faith, but I know God has promised that, that if we teach these children to walk in the way at an early age, that they're not going to depart from it. I know that their sanity will return. I know that God is in this marriage and where it feels like it is broken right now, I know that there will be healing that comes. There are times where we need to begin to speak in our faith. And as we pray, it's a lost art to pray out loud. We have become so private within our faith that, that we just have kind of recessed to praying inwardly. And I want to tell you that when you get alone with God, and you should get alone with God, it will help your heart. It will help your soul. And, and pray your prayers out loud. Because even just hearing yourself pray, there's power in that. There's recognition of the reality that God is hearing this. And it's not just something that's happening in my imagination. It's not just thoughts that flow to and fro here. But say it out loud. Pray it out loud. Believe it out loud. And your heart and your feelings will begin to catch up with the reality of your faith and the reality of what God is doing. And so women, men in the church, when anxiety presses in, God has given you gifts to, to move from a place of anxiety and worry to faith and strength. He's given you each other. He's given you a relationship with him that is incredibly close. And he's given you the opportunity to pray and speak words of faith that will encourage and lift up your heart. Band, if you guys will make your way up, I'm gonna begin to close this thing out. When we feel worried, when we feel anxiety, set that alarm off. I believe that it's the time to pray and to speak in faith. And I, I dial back to when, when I first became a camp counselor when I was in college. Uh, I, I've, I've got to do some fun stuff in my life. One of the things I'm really thankful that I did was I was a camp counselor in Dahlonega, Georgia, in North Georgia, at a camp called Camp Glisten. And I didn't mean to really shout their name out because I'm not gonna talk bad about you guys. I do love you guys. But I will say that when I became a camp counselor and I was given the responsibility of taking a group of middle schoolers uh, belaying down a 70-foot rock face, um, my one day of training didn't quite feel sufficient for hanging kids over a mountain, um, you know, with a, with a harness on, not, not that other way. That's terrible. Um, <laughs> but me as a counselor, I was given the task of convincing these kids to step off of a mountain that I was still terrified of. And I had one day of training 
And I was like, I do not feel capable of this. I just met this rope and I don't want to trust my life into its hands. Because even me, I had to get up to like the face of that rock and like lean over a little bit. And the rope I was tied into would stretch and I'd like stretch out as they went down and it felt like a rubber band that was going to snap and there was just all this fear in me. And I found myself doing this behavior that is helpful, but not always practiced of, I had to talk to myself out loud. Like before I could even get a kid over, I had to be like, okay, Paul, they, I, I know that this truck, it has the capacity to hold an F-250 up in the air. It can hold your skinny little college self on the side of this mountain. And, and this has been done before and there's other people with you who have done it before, but there's that initial step that you have to take. And sometimes you just can't get it going until you begin to speak the truth that you know. This is safe. You, you've, you've checked things, things are practiced, things are anchored. Now you just have to go and do it. And moms, man, you guys get it done all the time. You get the things done for the kids that need to be done. You think, get the things done for the house that need to be done. You get the things done for your husband that needs to get done. But I think far too often you've left the things undone for yourself. And I, I want to encourage you. I want to give you permission that in care for your own soul, it's worth the time. It's worth the words. And it might be scary to be like, well, if, if I take a night out for me, then these other things won't get done. You know what? Leave it be because you're more important than anything else that you could be accomplishing and you need to spend this time caring for your heart, caring for your soul, caring, caring for your friendships. And so today's message about anxiety is that you don't have to live in it. God has given you great capacities to move away from it, but it does take this moment where you say, okay, I just have to do this. You say it out loud that I'm gonna do it. You tell your husband, I'm gonna go take some time for me and you step and you just go and you get started. And something that might feel like, I don't know how we could make it work of me caring for my own soul, you just step out and you get started, mama. You, you go and do that. It, it's Mother's Day and I don't think a balloon can ever say enough for the women that are in our life. And this one's mine, this is my wife, Tia. And this isn't all she's getting, but I wanted to make sure that it was seen. That you do so much for our household. You do so much for our church. You do so much for our kids. You do so much for me. And I'm grateful for you. And for each one of you ladies, I know that it hasn't been said enough. There are people that maybe aren't even in your family. That your witness and your love, it's changed their life. And we need you. We need you to be walking with God in a way that keeps you fresh and full. So we want you to take these steps. Because we see, we can't do this without you. And we thank God that he gave you guys to us. So today on Mother's Day, we honor you. And we're thankful. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for each one of the ladies that are here today. You've used them in our lives in mighty ways. And in this next year, would they just feel your favor and your blessing and your presence? Would their heart just cry out to you, Abba, Father, as they walk in closeness and bring anything that weighs on their heart to you. And we speak in faith knowing that you're gonna be with them, 
and you're gonna guide them and you're gonna continue to bless them in these days to come. We're thankful for the gift that you've given us in them and we honor them today in Jesus' name.